Hello, I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And this series is about us receiving God's anointing to, to minister. God has a mission for us. He has sent us through the Great Commission. He says, go, preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're here to do primarily. That is God's mission for this age, is to save as many people as possible um, before he returns and uh, sets up his kingdom. And so we are to have a harvest. He wants a soul harvest from all the nations of the world. And we're meant to play our part in that. And so when we heard the gospel, we were saved. We received Christ. And uh, that is wonderful. And that means we're going to go to heaven if we've received Christ as our Lord and Savior. But he doesn't take us straight to heaven because he has a purpose for us. He wants to use us to reach others with the gospel and to help disciple them in the Lord. And we all do that in different ways. We're not all, you know, preachers, but we all call to share the gospel and to give a witness to Jesus and to teach others. Just find someone who is younger than you in the Lord and, and teach them what you've learned and teach them about the Lord. And, and that is what it means to disciple them in the Lord. And so we're all called to do that. And then he, Jesus also said, but in order to fulfill this mission, you need to receive uh, the power of the Holy Spirit upon you. Just like if Jesus needed the power of the Spirit upon him to fulfill his ministry, because although he is God, fully God, yet he is also fully man. And when he was on this earth, he operated as a man under the Holy Spirit. And so he needed the Spirit upon him to accomplish his ministry. How much more, however talented we might be, uh, however charming, uh, whatever personality we might have, uh, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be effective in God's work. And so that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It's, it's saying that, yes, you have the, if you're saved, you have the Spirit of God within you, but you also need to seek God to receive the, the Spirit upon you, the power of the Holy Spirit. As it says in Acts, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So that's God's plan for our life. And, and in a sense, there are two impartations of the Holy Spirit, not just one. And they're both, and God can only give us the Holy Spirit when we surrender to him. Our first faith surrender to, to God is when we're born again. We hear the gospel and we surrender to his saving love and we surrender to his lordship. And, and so that's a surrender of ourself. And in principle, we are saying, Jesus, you're my Lord. Of course, it takes the rest of our life to, to work out the details of that. But there's a second surrender which is specific, and that is he has a mission for us. We join his team, and we are his ambassadors in the earth, and we are his co-laborers. And so in order to accomplish the mission that he has for us, we have to also make a special surrender and say, God, yes, I am willing to be your ambassador. I'm willing to share the gospel. I'm willing to make disciples but I need your power. And so I surrender myself to you for the purpose of being empowered to fulfill that ministry. And when you do that, 
then, then you're able to receive the fullness of the Spirit and that power. And that power upon you is uh, one picture of it. it. It's manifested as fire. It's manifested as light. Uh, we see that on the day of Pentecost. This is when the first Christians received. Let's just read that. It says, on the day of Pentecost, it says that they were there appeared. This is when the Holy Spirit came down. It says, there appeared to them. People looking on, this is what they saw. Divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each one of them. So it's, it's like the Spirit came upon them and manifested as fire, as light. And what was happening there is, and we talked about this in terms of an oil lamp, we're like an oil lamp. The oil is within, it's invisible, but when the wick is connected to the oil, the oil fills the wick. And this experience is when the Spirit fills us, fills our soul, and that wick goes out of the mouth. And when the oil then comes out of the mouth, the oil comes on our mouth, and then we begin to speak as the Spirit gives them the words, then that oil is ignited. And there is now a flame. And in the Spirit, when you speak in tongues or when you speak the words of God, filled with the Spirit of God, then that ignites as a fire. You don't always see it with your natural eyes, but that's what's happening when you are speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says you are shining the light. Jesus said, let your light shine. That means preach the gospel, testify to Jesus, um, pray in the Spirit, uh, share the gospel and then that fire is upon you and on the day of Pentecost they could actually see that fire upon them on each one of them the spirit of God was upon them as this fire and they were that fire was ignited because it says uh, it describes what caused that ignition in verse 4 they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance and so by yielding to the Spirit and speaking, that activated the power. When Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that word for power is dunamis, that's potential energy. And so when you receive the Spirit upon you, he remains upon you, he rests upon you, he won't go away. However, he can be dormant. It's like dunamis is potential energy. You're not aware of it. It's like the energy in a spring when it's coiled up. It's only, you, you're not aware that there's energy there until it's released. Uh, dunamis is like dynamite in the same way. A stick of dynamite looks, doesn't look powerful at all. But when you ignite it, it's powerful. So we have potential energy upon us if we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. But we ignite it by speaking words. The Word of God under the inspiration of the Spirit. And so it's a wonderful thing having the baptism in the Spirit, but then you have to release that power by praying in the Spirit, by speaking. And so that was the, the original experience. And then we saw that the Gentiles had the same experience in Acts chapter 10. Let's quickly see that again. When Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. So they were saved and immediately also they received the Spirit upon them. And the Jews there were astonished because the gift of the Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And how did they know that they'd received the gift of the Spirit upon them? Uh, 
for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So the evidence, that the, the outward evidence that they had received this experience of the Spirit upon them was that they spoke in tongues. Then Peter then said, well, we have to accept them because God has accepted them. And, and then he explains to the Jews back in Jerusalem why he baptized them. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. That means at the beginning of the church was the day of Pentecost. And so at Pentecost, they received the Spirit upon them and the Gentiles had the same experience. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So this experience of the Spirit upon is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And he says, well, if God did that, baptize them in the Spirit, who am I to disagree with God? And then we saw that in Acts 15, Peter uses this experience as a proof that the church must the Jewish church, must accept the Gentiles because God has accepted them. And so he says in Acts 15, um, he talks about that experience. And he says, God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. That's at Pentecost. And he made no distinction between us and them. He treated us on the same basis, purifying their hearts by faith. And I wanted to just um, emphasize again this deep principle that there are uh, what, what, what Peter was actually saying that is not in our culture. But in their culture, they understood that things can either be unclean, which is negative, sin makes something unclean, or it can be, it can be cleansed by blood, and that made it clean but common. That's a kind of neutral, zero. Unclean is negative, clean is neutral, and then the positive, the desirable state, is holy. And so you cleanse, you can't make an unclean thing holy. What you have to do is cleanse it first by blood, and then you need to make it holy. How do you do that? You offer it to God, it has to be offered to God, it has to be made clean, then it has to be dedicated to God, and then the Spirit of God comes and possesses it and that's what makes it holy he's the holy spirit he's what make you don't make yourself holy by doing good works no that, that at best that is uh that is neutral uh but by being possessed by the holy spirit that makes you holy and then the power of god the grace of god is now upon you and so it what is going on here is that when you receive Christ, first you are cleansed by his blood. And that's what Peter was saying, that their hearts must have been purified by faith. Because once they are cleansed by the blood, then the Holy Spirit can come inside you and you are born again. But more than that, if you are dedicated to God to do his will in the earth, then he will also anoint you with the Spirit upon you, which is evidenced outwardly by the speaking in tongues. And now you are also anointed with the Spirit upon you. You are set apart for the work of the Lord. So first you are set apart to him, to belong to him. You are holy from the moment you're born again. But now there's an, a special anointing on you. You are set apart to do 
his work. And that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, what he's saying here is that because God did such a dramatic thing and didn't just give them the Spirit within, but at the same time he gave them the Spirit upon, in an obvious outward way, no one could deny that they had received the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that proved that they must have been cleansed because you cannot make an unclean thing holy. So God must have first cleansed their hearts by faith. They must have been born again in order for them to then receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is an important principle that you can, you can only be um, baptized in the Holy Spirit if you've been born again first. All right, because you must first be cleansed, and when you're cleansed, you receive the Spirit within, and only then can you receive the Spirit upon you. Okay, and so again, that experience that they had of the Spirit upon that was outwardly obvious to Peter and the other Jews was God demonstrating clearly that He had accepted these Gentiles, that they had been cleansed and born again. And I want to uh, actually just point out a verse of in the Bible where, where Jesus talks about this cleansing that you know that you have to be born again before you receive the baptism in the Spirit. That that is actually quite important, and and that is in 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 Matthew uh, nine seventeen, where he says that uh, no one puts wine into an old wineskin because it will just break. And what he's talking about, our old, the old wineskin is our old spirit uh, that's not born again. And if you try and put the wine of the Holy Spirit inside that, it's not going to, it can't hold it. And that's why until you're born again, you can't receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, what you have to do is create a new wineskin. And what they would do in those days to make a wineskin new is rub oil in it. And this is a picture of what happens at the new birth. The Holy Spirit rubs oil into the wineskin of your spirit and makes it new again. And that's the new birth. And then your spirit can contain the new wine of the spirit. So you must be born again first before your spirit can receive the Holy Spirit within you and upon you. Well, I want to talk, extend this and, and look at Isaiah's experience. Although this is in the Old Covenant, I think this is helpful for us as we endeavor to come to that place where uh, we're saved, we're born again, and now we want to serve God and we want to receive his power to serve him. And Isaiah was the prince of the prophets of the Old Testament. And we are told how he entered into his ministry. And God has a ministry for each one of us. And God wants us to enter into that ministry. But it's not going to happen while you're watching, uh, you know, secular TV all the time. You have to get before God. And I want you to notice what happened with Isaiah. And we can learn from this. It says in Isaiah 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah was actually of the priestly caste, and he was in the temple, and he has this vision, and suddenly the heavenly temple and the earthly temple all kind of become one. And he sees the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, two his feet, and with two he flew. 
And one cried to the other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So this, he's dramatically transported into the presence of God. And now he is aware that he is unclean. So I said, Woe is me! For, and he's, he's, he probably knows that he's got a call to the ministry, a call to be a prophet. But now suddenly he's aware of his own uncleanness. For I am undud, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now I, he was a believer, <coughs> but if you, one thing in the Bible is that the, that the lips and the heart are basically joined together. They're basically the lips are the mouthpiece of the heart. So if the lips are unclean, that means the heart is unclean. So when you see lips, see also heart there, because they're ex they're essentially the same thing. They're joined together. So he's saying, I'm unclean in my heart, and that is shown in my unclean lips. And that's a problem because he's meant to be a prophet, but yet his lips have not been surrendered to God and his heart hasn't been surrendered to God in the right way for him to fulfill that ministry of prophet. God has to do something in him to prepare him for that ministry of being a prophet. And, um, and God needs to do two things. Because he's unclean in that area, he needs cleansing. Remember, first of all, he has to be cleansed with blood, and then he has to receive the power of the Holy Spirit so that, as it were, his lips are now on fire and his heart is on fire with the, the Spirit of God. And then he can fulfill that ministry of being a prophet. And so his lips was a central issue because oh, he was called to be a prophet. And we are called to be a prophet, to, be, to prophesy, to, to speak the words of the gospel. And so we, we need to go through an experience somewhat like Isaiah's. He needed God's cleansing and then he needed God's power upon him. And so God, then, then Isaiah is repenting, you see. He's, he's confessing his sin. He's repenting to God for his uncleanness, that he's just taken on the attributes of the society he lives in and, and he is unclean just like the society. And now he realizes and he repents and he rededicates himself to God. And that's what we have to do. We have to repent of our sin and we rededicate ourselves to God to do his will and to speak for him. And then God will empower us to do that. Notice God does two things now. Um, then it says, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, or literally a burning coal, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. Now I want you to notice the altar is where the sacrifice is made and this is a picture of the altar is of the cross of Christ where Christ shed his blood for us. And on the altar were burning coals because of the fire of the sacrifice. And those coals were burning coals and they had the blood on them. Now to actually understand what's going on, there's actually three temples. It's not just the heavenly temple, not just the earthly temple that Isaiah was in, but, in, in, but we, man himself, we are a temple. In fact, those temples are pictures of man as a temple. And the altar of incense is the key thing right here. In the holy place, in front of the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, was the altar of incense, right in front of the curtain that divided that. And that is a picture of our heart. 
of the innermost part of our soul that connects with the spirit that's in the Holy of Holies. And basically what they would do is that they would bring coals from the altar and those hot burning coals would be placed on the altar of incense and then incense would be placed there and that it, it beautiful smelling incense would go up into the Holy of Holies. And this is a picture that we need, we receive the burning coals uh, from the Holy Spirit and which transform our heart and cause us to give our worship and our prayer and our praise to God. And also, uh, so, but so that burning, so the altar of incense is our heart that is expressed through our lips and that is the incense that we offer up. And so that is what, what Isaiah's is experience is a picture of what happens in our heart. And so the seraphim had in his hand a burning coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. I want you to note these burning coals did two things. First of all, the burning coal had blood on it, had the blood of the sacrifice on it. And, and so the, the praises that go up are from a cleansed heart. So the blood cleansed Isaiah's heart. We read about that. He touched my mouth with it, but that blood was applied to his mouth and to his heart. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. So notice the blood from the sacrifice cleansed his lips and his heart. That's the first thing that has to happen. We have to receive that cleansing. And secondly, that burning coal also represent the anointings of God that have, were purchased on the altar of sacrifice. This is the burning power of the Holy Spirit. And now that burning, power, burning coal, which represents the fire of the Holy Spirit, was applied to his lips and to his heart. And now, instead of the unclean things coming off his lips, now his heart was releasing praise and adoration and incense to God. That burning anointing of God was now on him. He was on fire with God and his lips were on fire praising God. And that same fire that was on him now was his also was his anointing to be a prophet. And now he had the fire of God was on in his heart and on his lips. And now he was able to go and be one probably the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. And this is where he received his power. He had to come and confess his sin, receive the cleansing from the altar and receive the burning uh, anointing fire of God from the altar that set him on fire and released the power of God on his lips. And then as he spoke those words, the power of God was released, not just as incense into the Holy of Holies, but in his ministry, the power of God was released. Uh, in an awesome way. Praise God. And so it's this burning coal set his tongue on fire, giving him power to prophesy. So immediately he's received this power, then he is commissioned to go and speak for God because now he hears God. Now he's dedicated himself to God to do whatever God wants. Now God gives him that calling. He says, I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? See, that's the Trinity. Who shall I send, but who will go for us? Then I said, here am I. Send me. And so he is standing, literally, I believe he was standing at the altar of incense in the temple. But actually the important altar of incense was in his heart. 
and he his heart had been cleansed by the blood and now adoration and love and praise was flowing out of his heart to God and now God says right now you're ready your heart is on fire for me now I am sending you into the world to speak my words and and Isaiah says yes send me I dedicate myself to that. And from that moment on, his powerful ministry began. He spoke in the power of the Spirit, as few other men ever have. And I believe God wants to do the same for you. He wants, as you come to him, as you confess any sin to him, this is how you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just, if you're born again, you basically qualify, but you do need to dedicate yourself to God. You need to ask him to forgive you of your unclean lips, of your unclean heart. Let him cleanse you with his blood, but also now ask him, ask him to fill you with his spirit. Say, God, fill me with your spirit. Jesus, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Lord, give me those burning coals, the, those, that anointing, that, that power that was purchased on the altar of the cross. Apply that into my heart and apply it. Let that power come and fill me, fill my heart from the inside. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But also let that power, that burning coal power, come on my lips. They were filled with the Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. That's how it begins, by you praying in tongues. And that's the sign that now the power of God is on your lips. And now you can speak for God. And as you trust him and as you open your mouth and share the gospel and testify, that power will start going forth. The baptism of the Spirit is like a fire upon your lips. And that as you trust him, that fire, that power will be released. And so as you ask him, like you do with Isaiah, dedicate yourself to him and say, Lord, here am I. Send me. I want to do your will in the earth. He will also give give that burning anointing in your heart and on your lips and he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire and you will go forth in his name and do great things for God. If you want to know more about end time prophecy and we are living in the last days, I'm, I believe that, um, this is part one of a series of three books that cover the whole scope of prophecy and this is uh, end time prophecy part one, the framework or the prophetic framework. And uh, let me encourage you that prophecy is important. It's part of the Bible. It's a big part of the Bible. And so God wants you to understand what is going to happen in the future so that you can be prepared and that it gives you hope for the future, especially in the troubled times we live in. You can get this book from our, from our office, from our website, but you can also get it from Amazon because it's available on all the Amazon outlets worldwide. Uh, I encourage you to search for my books. They're all out there on Amazon. Thank you for watching. Join with us at Oxford Bible Church every Sunday at 11am Greenwich Mean Time for our live stream service. Or join us at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, ox 37 qh You can watch more of our teachings on our Roku channel and Derek Walker's YouTube channel. All Derek Walker's books are available in printed and Kindle versions in all Amazons worldwide or online with other great products. 
where you can also support our programmes at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.